Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the girls and boys NSAA high school soccer championships from Morrison Stadium at Creighton University. Monday, May 13th, see Class B girls at 8.30 p.m. Central and Class A girls at 8 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Rebound Spencer and Klingon had something to do that. He was standing in the paint to deter it. This is Spencer down the arc, gives to the cutting Klingon and he fires it down with two hands. What a feed by Spencer. Great pass. UConn has 12 assists on their 24 baskets. And Klingon, 22 points. Career high. 10 for 10 from the field. Sixers lead by 18, but two with the ball. Joel posting into the lane, gets it on Davis, and now shoots it from 15. Remy good. Boy, that's a clash with two premier big men in the NBA. And B, now 9 of 15, 25 points. Sixes by 20. Clippers' backs are against the wall. This is a huge possession. Jackson to the rim. Layup. Got it! Timeout called by the Clippers. Reggie Jackson with 35. Career high is 55. It'll be on the left hash. Angle right. Snap. Scales. Put down by Gill. Right foot. Cairo Santos to the uprights. And it is good from 55. To hold Trenton Gill. Cairo Santos 08. Snap. Right hash. Angle left. Santos the kick. Santos is good from 30 yards. Good morning. Welcome in to Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers is back. Hey, man. What's going on, buddy? Hey, it's good to be back. It is good to have you. I listened you. to you guys on the seven-hour drive home yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm glad we could take up uh, almost half of that for you. Yeah, you pretty know, close. Help you out a little bit Although there. I was skipping through commercials because I got on the road at like 7.45. Oh, so gotcha. So it, it was only about... Uh, which is a, a plus because I got to listen to, to you and, and Mike Sauter versus the background music, which I understand why our listeners <laughs> highly dislike that music, Shane, uh, because I, I was paying attention to some of, the, some of the points that they would bring up of like, hey, it gets really loud here. Mm. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like it's like an alarm clock. And like, you know, <laughs> I'm just doing my work and boom. You're hit with the music, and uh, I, I found out, like, yeah, there were times where it was a little quiet, 
and then poof, it just hits you like a truck. Um, so, oh, come on, Shane. Uh, yeah, maybe we can work on that, Shane. Maybe, you know, maybe I, so. I have this dream of, then this would be a lot of work for both of us, uh, of putting together, you know how during in like the previews for movies, they have those like movie trivia things, and like if we just did like a bunch of sports trivia and we filled the uh the, the entire break the with commercials it. with that like i feel like that'd be kind of fun yeah you know you clip click uh click the answer to skip the ad or something yeah, like i know you youtube know, just... does that so <laughs> why not i don't know we'll fig- we'll figure something out we'll, we'll <laughs> that, work that seems on like it. a lot more work yeah it does seem like be. a lot of work i'm i'm sure that will not be right the answer. uh unless shane just wants to do it all that would be fine um good morning he didn't say no. I'm going to take that as no, a yes. No, good morning is a no. <laughs> if you know anything about Shane, good morning is a no. No. Uh, it doesn't count if Bo says it, Shane. Uh, is it a double negative? Does that mean yes? No. Good morning. Right there. No. Yeah, that's a yes. That's a yes. Uh, we are live this morning on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And we, of course, are on YouTube and Twitter, as our guy Andrew Rogers was mentioning. No, no ad skipping here. You got to support our sponsors. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Uh, but we've got a terrific show for you here today. We will talk to our uh, regular uh, Tuesday guest, Mike Schaefer, at 9 a.m. from Husker 24-7. But at 8 a.m., I'm very excited about this one. I love talking to Adam McClintock pretty much any time. But this is the best time of year to talk to Adam McClintock when that carousel gets a roll in a little bit in the coaching cycle. So we'll talk to the college football professor, uh, Adam McClintock of Matrix Analytical, here in about an hour. And then we'll wrap up the show with Aaron McCann. He covers Michigan for M Live. They've got the Big Ten Championship coming up uh, here this weekend. We've already talked to Iowa yesterday with Scott Docterman. And we don't need to hear from Iowa anymore. Nobody <laughs> Remember when Nebraska had a chance to play in the Big Ten Championship it, game? Weirdly not that long ago. <laughs> um, it was in November. It doesn't feel like it, but it, it, it was a thing that happened this month. Still. Yeah, it wasn't the first game of the year, uh, like Coach so, Will said. <laughs> so, hey, everybody's, everybody's, going Every, everybody's a favorite. Everybody's, everybody's a undefeated favorite. this year right now. Uh, so we'll talk to Aaron McCann. Uh, really interested to see about some of the – you know, kind of the return of Jim Harbaugh is a, is a big storyline here. Probably a bigger storyline than the game itself because I think everybody expects Iowa to get boat raced. He didn't leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are we making this a big deal? He didn't go anywhere. No, I He think just had to sit at home. I think it's more just the, he's back on the sidelines. And I'm just curious if they think it'll make any difference, right? Because if they lose to Iowa it'd be because a little, he's back on the sideline, it'd be a little that hilarious. would make my entire month. I would. Lo- I mean, here's the problem: is I I think Michigan. Sh- I want Michigan to lose, so they don't make the college football playoff. But do I really want Iowa to be Big Ten champs? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I <laughs> yeah. do. You know what? This is this is the t- point in time where you root for um, a, th- that one team to beat Michigan, <sighs> and. That one team to beat Michigan last week was Ohio State. Were you rooting for Ohio State? You never want to root for Ohio State. No, I was, though. I was last week. But you root for Ohio State. Same thing with uh, a week prior to that. Were you rooting for Maryland? Like, you don't want to root for another Big Ten team. I'm okay rooting for people that. Yes, rooting for the rival is much harder. I was different. But if Michigan were to lose, think about, like, the national perspective on on how that – 
how that hurts Michigan on the inside, right? Like, as much as it benefits Iowa, what does Iowa get out of this? Here's the they pr- get absolutely nothing out of it outside of beating Michigan, I mean, they get a, right? right? They, they get a top two win be, in college football. It would be Kirk Ferentz's only outright Big Ten title. He has not won one. Let him have it. Uh, I don't think he deserves it. <laughs> let him have it. If it means here's, uh, here's, if it means Michigan losing, let him have it. Here's the other problem, though. If, if Iowa I, gets a vocal vo- uh, voice out of it, though, was, they that, will be more vocal. That's that's they're the key. already vocal. No, can you imagine? Can you imagine if they end up eleven and two with a Big Ten title, and they're the ones that beat Michigan? They will never shut up. And if I were them, I wouldn't either, guys. Guys. We live in a world. And just the opposite. We live in a world where Nebraska fans don't shut up about I know. the championships that they won. I know. Who cares? And Everybody just, has their win. If they get it this way <laughs> and Michigan falls off the map, I'm cool with it. And just the opposite, uh, though, Michigan will not have a vocal voice if they win because they'll just be like, well, Which we're, will be fantastic. We, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care we, about Michigan. Because we don't were care supposed to do all. that anyway. I don't care about Michigan. Their mindset. What I do care about is there are enough Iowa people in my life that it would not be pleasant for me. You know and what? come up with something different for them. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I could go zero natties. We got zero natties for <laughs> Iowa. I don't even think they have any fake natties. Zero. They're not even Texas A&M good to have one in 1939. They got the fake. They got they, <laughs> that one was really real. I like. I love the like Auburn. I think it is claims like seven national titles. It's like no, sorry Auburn, <laughs> that's not a real thing. I know. There's so many. There's so many SEC schools that have like a dozen national title years plastered on their stadium. It's like none of those are real. Like you made those up. Those are, Wait a second, nineteen twelve. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you played three games that year. Two of them were against the YMCA. That's that's a real thing. There's this account on Twitter or on TikTok, and I can't remember who it is. It's I think it's a barstool guy. It's the guy that I was sending you the videos of every time like a new Michigan scandal would oh, jack yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, sure. He does the he does this kind of series of ridiculous national title claims, and they're all from like pre 1970 ish because half of the schedules back then again th- sometimes they'd play like four games and then crown themselves national titles <laughs> before 1948 there was no ap poll really and there were like other systems that people claim national titles with but you go back and look like everybody knows the uh like the georgia tech cumberland score like the 222 to zero that type of thing was so much more common because the, I don't, the reason that happened is because Cumberland didn't have a football team. They were scheduled that game. Cumberland disbanded their football team, and Georgia Tech held them to the contract. And so they had to just, like, bring a bunch of dudes and play Georgia Tech in football. Yeah, this guy's a shoe shiner. Yeah, well, it was like, it was like baseball. <laughs> He's our quarterback. It was like baseball players. It was just like random students. It was like an intramural team, and they went and go play Georgia Tech, who was good at the time. And so, yeah, they lost by 200. But that kind of thing pre-World War II – was incredibly common. So anybody that claims a national title pre 1948, I just, I it's a no from me. We're not counting those. So I'm looking at you, Texas A&M. I'm looking at you, like half the SEC schools. Notre Dame. I'm looking at you a little bit. Like half their national titles came like pre 1940. Looking at you a little bit, Notre Dame. I'm just saying, 
It's it's so okay. It's a little sus. A- answer this for me because I haven't done the research. Um, is there another school that also claims like the 1937 national championship? Yes, I'm usually. So are there like four schools that yes. claim that they've won? Yes, usually. Um, usually pre like 1950, there's like four schools that will claim a national title every year, and I'll look it up right now. But it's so dumb. Some of them have like three losses. They played like nine games. They were like six and three, and they're like, we're national champs. Even in like, I think, I think it was, ni- it was either 1969 or 1970. It was one of Texas's national titles that like uh, the, just Richard Nixon, the president, was just like, you're the national champion before they played their last regular season game. Like I, they still had to play Arkansas, and I think they either lost that or they lost the bowl game. It, but, and they're just like, no, we're national champs. Yeah. The president said so. It's like, I don't know that the Prez was real, like, dialed in on college football that year. You know what I mean? Like, he's got some other things he's, he's busy with. I'm not even totally sure, like, all the AP voters are as dialed in on college football as I want them to be. I'm not necessarily being like, yeah, hey, uh, Mr. President, can you name a, a national champion for us? That'd be terrific. Like, nobody asked him to do that. He was just like, you're the national champs, Texas. And they're like, cool. <laughs> do you want to come to the White House? It was, it was – it was just a total, like, wild west of national champions pre- Texas is a powerful player. Like, 1970, which, by the way, is the first one Nebraska won, so that one's real. Well, speaking um, of Texas, <laughs> uh, TK said uh, two teams he can never root for in any circumstance, Iowa and Texas, which I get. Look, I understand it, but... Yeah, the Iowa one's tough for me. So, so the reason I... And I'll, I'll draw a comparison to a team that I love, um, the Cardinals. If I had a root for the Cubs, mm-hmm. like, that would be extremely hard to do. Like, I feel like I would... I'd rather spend my entire night puking um, <laughs> than uh, rooting for that team. But okay. if they were playing the Houston Astros in 2017 or, or mm. whenever when they were caught cheating... Sure. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Cubs. Yeah. Like I'm rooting for the t- I'm rooting for the team that is going to beat the cheater, and that's mm. the that's the uh, example that we have here. We have the cheater, and we have the non-cheater who I hate. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're. I'm make, not rooting for the cheater. You're making a good point here uh, with the cheater. Um, I don't have an argument against it. I just can't bring myself to do it. Hey, look, I'm not going to say that I, I'm, a, I, I'm an Iowa fan now, right, or a Cubs fan or Big whatever. Big Iowa energy. <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm not rooting for the cheater. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I mean, I get it. That's fair. And as a 23-point dog, can you imagine beating the cheater? Uh, no, I cannot. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to, but it, it would be – you're innocent until proven guilty. If there's any time in which I would root for any time that I would root for Iowa, it would be in this specific scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, pre-Big Ten, like pre-Nebraska's time in the Big Ten, I didn't root against Iowa because they hardly played and it didn't matter. And like, I weirdly kind of liked Brad Banks a lot. Like, I like it. I enjoyed. You know, sometimes it, you just have those. Yeah, guys you kind of. Like, I, I kind of like gravitated toward him. And I thought he should have won the Heisman instead of Carson Palmer. Like, I thought he was, he was a really good player. Uh, and then they got boat raced by Carson Palmer in USC <laughs> in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, whatever. Did Carson Palmer end up playing in the NFL? Uh, he did. For, was he pretty good? For, he, was, he was not bad. Um, 19-10, we have four national champions. <laughs> okay. Auburn, Harvard, Michigan, 
Pittsburgh. Harvard claimed a national title. Uh, listen, Harvard was a juggernaut at this point. Oh, were they? Yeah. Were they were just claiming national titles because they were smart? No, because they went like 9-0-1 every year because only like 12 teams played college football. Uh, Michigan, 3-0-3 claimed a national title that oh, year. Nice. Uh, three ties. Yeah, 3-0-3. They went 1911, uh, uh, also four national uh, Give me a champions. team that had a losing record that claimed a national Ooh, championship. I'll see what I can. You you keep talking for a minute. I know there was. <laughs> I know you wanted to talk about uh, some of the Nebraska player retention because we're going to talk about transfer portal mm-hmm. quarterbacks in a little bit. But mm-hmm. you were texting me last night about about the so far the yeah. retention of and I think some guys will end up entering the portal. But that was something that you were kind of interested. Well, no in. one has right right. Now. But and, I think at some point we'll have some. And, you know, Rule, like, he put his money down. He mm-hmm. said, I bet most guys would want to stay here yeah, and, and play for Nebraska. And that is just credit to the culture mm-hmm. and to the standard because there is, there is no one out there that is a part of a losing team. And, I, you know, five and seven isn't the worst of the losing teams. Sure. But in a season that uh, Nebraska did not hit the expectation that was kind of like reworked midseason, mm-hmm. there are a lot of players that would be like, I- I'm fed up. Like, how, how did we not pull this off? Like, some of it had to do with coaching. Some of it had to do with turnover. Some of it had to do with game management, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you can attribute that failure, that failure to something. But the fact that, Everybody has remained on this Nebraska roster is just credit to uh, the hold that this coaching staff has on them. Um, and, and that's not saying, like, hey, like, I control, like, what you're about to do. What I mean by that is, no, this is a family that you don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. This, this is an environment that you know will succeed if you stay long enough to be a part of it and you don't make a, a rash decision to just leave to leave because (laughs) you're like hey I I can win somewhere else because that's not guaranteed but what you did see at Nebraska was progress Mm -hmm. and if progress goes from hey new head coach to a five win season to an a a full off season again where you know the staff and the players can do you know some some self-reflecting um, some self-evaluation on how to get better in certain moments in the game. Like, this team was, what, four minutes away from being a 7-8 win team? Like, four minutes of yeah. game away from being yeah. an 8 win team? I think that's fair. Like, there, there is there's so much to take away from this season on the positive side, which is why these guys want to stay. And, and they want to stay and play for somebody that cares for them. Yeah, I think that's the big key right there. And, and that is – coach rule in this staff Mm -hmm. like they care for this team now it starts at the top because you you still have these coaches speaking like coach rule but when you have some look I I'm going to use a religious scenario here but when you have somebody that is like Jesus right and then you have his (laughs) apostles right that are spreading the same message that Jesus wants you to spread like that's coach rule and his apostles are everybody on the staff, and then the disciples are, is, is the team, right? And, yes, everybody's buying into that one person's message, but it doesn't matter who spreads it. Right. Because you're still going to listen because you know it came from the, the ultimate caregiver. Sure. And that's Coach Rule in this, in this scenario. It, it shocks me. 
that nobody has entered the portal yet? Like, I, I will consider that a surprise because you'll get that eventually. Yeah, you'll get a handful. Be, yeah. At some point, you're going to bring people in, yeah. and then people are going to be like, oh, he's after my job. I'm going to go somewhere else that I know I can play. You know, th- that'll happen. But and that's up, natural. Uh, up until yeah. this point, yeah. when you have been hit with so much failure late in the season where it's just easy to kind of give up and go, and the fact that they've been able to, to stay and, and be retained mm-hmm. – it's just a credit to the staff, and it's a credit to the player making that decision on his own right now. Well, I think there's a couple things that you're seeing there. I think you touched on uh, on several of them. So, number one, it is about the culture, right? The culture of caring for each other, about being selfless, about being open and honest and transparent. If you know what you're getting into in a situation, you're much more likely to stay if you decide to be there in the first place, right? So I think that's something that, you saw, I think, way more attrition on the front end than you will on the back end. Because I think I don't think these players probably got anything from Coach Rule and staff that they weren't expecting to get. And that helps a ton in retention. The second thing is I think there's this I think there's this idea that, hey, if if you do X, Y, and Z, you're gonna get an opportunity. I think a lot of coaching staffs kind of and we saw it with, with Frost and, and staff is they'll kind of pigeonhole guys into, ah, uh, that's not a guy that can play for us. Or, this, you know, like Makai Bayer is a great example, right? Didn't think he was going to play for Nebraska ever. Wasn't even sure if he could play at this level. All of a sudden, staff change. He goes from total afterthought to major contributor on defense, right? When guys see that and they see, hey, we are going to get a fair shot, because that's all most guys want especially if they're the kind of guy that would have stuck around in the first place. Most guys just want a fair shot. And if they feel like they got a fair shot and they still are not the starter, most guys can live with that. It's, uh, it's when they don't feel like they got a shot in the first place that you see guys leave and you see them uh, move on to different opportunities and different, uh, different uh, schools and things like that. You, I don't think you're going to get a ton of that with Nebraska. What you'll get is eventually as the talent upgrades, you'll get guys that say, hey, I would just like more of an opportunity to play somewhere else. I I get that I'm not probably going to crack this rotation here or whatever, and Coach Rule will help those guys find homes because he said he'll do that. Mm -hmm. If if this isn't the right place for you, then we'll help find the right place for you because you don't want – it's like when you're in a relationship with somebody, right? Like you don't want to be in a relationship with somebody that doesn't want to be in a relationship with you, right? That's not good for anybody. Even if you can convince them to stay, like long-term, that's not going to work, right? And so you want guys that want to be there. And when guys want to be there, they understand what they're getting into because Coach Rule and his staff are pretty honest and pretty upfront about, hey, this is what you're going to get here. And if that's not for you, it's okay no hard feelings, but we should probably find a place that is for you. And so I do think you'll see some that's just the nature of it. Like I, I, I expect Jeff Sims to graduate and move on, right? Because I don't see any world in which he's the starting quarterback at Nebraska next year. I don't see a world where he's the starting quarterback at another university. Maybe not power five. I bet he could drop down. It, yes, he Okay, well, like a, 
a group of five, I bet he could drop down. Why I say that is Mm -hmm. it's it's not a guaranteed job. No. He did him no favors this year by giving him a guaranteed job at the next at the next stop. And if he chooses to play, even if it is D two or FCS or whatever it is. He'll have competition for that role. I bet he could walk into an FCS job and get the, and and be guaranteed the job. Basically, I don't know if he could do that anywhere in the FBS. I'm, I really don't. After what he's shown this year, there's probably some Group of Five schools that would give him that opportunity, but probably not very many places he actually wants to play. If we're being real, um, so that's going to be really interesting to see what he does. But I expect him to move on. I expect them to bring in. I want. I think it's going to be two transfer quarterbacks. I think they're going to bring in a guy they think they can be their starter, and I think they're going to bring in a younger guy they think they can develop. Um, not that I've heard anything, but an example of a younger guy would be like a Zane Flores, a guy that's only been in college one year, that hasn't played yet, a guy that probably wants to be here, or, you know, theoretically he's from the area, understands the place. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't know anything about that. I know people get like real excited about Zane Flores. I've that's just an example of a guy that would make sense in the developmental role. Uh, some guys that would make sense in some of those other roles, I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit because there's are, they're starting to get some names trickling out into the transfer portal, and there's some. A lot of quarterbacks out there. A lot of quarterbacks. There's always a lot of quarterbacks, right? But I think here's one thing that, that I think we're going to look for, more than starting experience, more than – uh, the ability, like their physical abilities more than any of this, and, and we'll get into quarterbacks here in the next segment, is I think the thing they're going to be looking for most is all of that intangible, emotional, uh, and mental stuff that is so important to this staff. I think they can deal with just about everything else as long as they're not hyper turnover prone. <laughs> that's, that is, that's where I was that's, going. That's as long the as big, they don't turn the football that's over. That's the big a ton, if. That, but if you know, everything else can come with it. But if they're if they're bought in on all the on the all the off the field stuff, those are the guys that I think they're going to go after the most. Uh, by the way, 1921, six national champions, including your Iowa Hawkeyes. Fake national title, Iowa doesn't count. They, did they have a losing? A losing they, they did not, but they, they share that title with Darn Lafayette, it. Vanderbilt, Cornell, California, and Washington and Jefferson. That's not a real school. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back to Hurt At Sports Radio, where we're looking at very old national championships that <laughs> definitely aren't real. Um, <laughs> Talk about the one that, <laughs> with Notre Dame got the national title, but another team claimed it and lost to Notre Dame. Yeah, so USC went 10-2 and two one year. I'm trying to find the year. They went 10-2. and two. Uh, Notre Dame went 9-0. and oh. And uh, so this is 1929. USC went 10-2. Notre Dame went 9-0. and oh. Pittsburgh also went 9-1 and one and claimed a national title, but, you know, uh, Pittsburgh lost to USC, so that obviously doesn't count. And, and Pittsburgh U- had one selector that year. USC went 10-2, and two, Notre Dame went 9-0. and oh. One of USC's losses was to Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, and USC's like, no, no, 
We're national title. We're, we're national champions still. That counts. Anything, that's what I'm saying. The a, the, there's no officially recognized national titles. Even though the AP existed, it was like a, it was a cluster. There are no officially recognized national titles until 1950. So if you're claiming a title pre-1950, all, the, all you're telling me is you haven't done anything in 75 years. That's all I hear. Right? Well, PD uh, voted for uh, Pittsburgh um, that year. That is uh, the police department. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's like, I mean, the police department of the world. Look, look pre like 1950. There's like 15 different selectors. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's, it's, yeah. it's absurd. Well, and you know what? Frankly, if you have like the majority of the selectors, then I think you should win it. Well, but some of them are like total nonsense. Like, like some of the selectors are. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. The whole thing is nonsense. <laughs> so if, if we're going to stay in the nonsensical world, yeah, give fair. me every abbreviation possible, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm, I'm Googling right now what uh, college football team claims the most fake national titles. And I'm sure there is an article out there. There has to be. Oh, terrific. We've got one from – oh, this was like peak pandemic. ESPN must have been bored. We'll get to that later. What I wanted to get to <laughs> – that's going to be my 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 break my in break reading all show. What I wanted to get to today was uh, or after that last segment was the transfer portal quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You were talking about how the culture of Nebraska has uh, allowed it to retain most of the play- all their players, all their so, players so far right after the season. I would imagine for Nebraska, you'll see more transfers in the spring period versus the winter period because jobs will, make sense. Jobs will start mm-hmm. to shake out, right? Because usually. I feel like you lo- you leave in the winter period if either it's been crystal clear that your job is gone um, or if you're unhappy in your situation. I don't know that outside of Jeff Sims, I don't know that that applies to just about anyone else on the team because, um, like, clearly his job is gone. And so I'm sure there will be some – attrition in other places i'd be pretty surprised about like impact guys transferring well and at least at the quarterback position this is where this is where i was kind of thinking about it last night because yes coach rule is all about you know rome wasn't built in a day Mm -hmm. his development over the in and out uh fast food restaurant of the portal and i i was I was reflecting on my couch and I thought, huh, I wonder how Husker Nation actually feels about this. Because the majority of people are like, get me a portal quarterback. Get me somebody that wins football games. But the staff has leaned more to, no, we are going to focus on development, having a homegrown roster. I do think quarterback's a little different. But is quarterback only different because of what we saw? Because in the spring it was, hey, Harburg and Purdy, like they look really good, or at least Harburg, uh, because Purdy was injured majority of the time. But like Harburg looked really good. Um, you know, Jeff Sims is going to come in and he'll get the starting reps right away. But then you saw Harburg a little bit, and you're like, oh wow, see this is what we talked about, like you know that development that they were working on. But then as the season kind of progressed, right, you saw like Harburg was kind of like falling into the mix of maybe he isn't as good as we think he is. And then Purdy comes in and it's like, hey, it's a splash of uh, brilliance, but this splash of brilliance was built on what? 
like, you know, the, the sand, um, and, and I'm trying to find some water to pack in to make my sandcastle. Like, it, the, the floor was so low, and, and the expectation was, say, was, was so a, low yeah. that when you got that bright spot, it was just like, oh, okay, this is nice, we were, but this isn't sustainable. We were this grading. isn't somebody – Purdy that, on a curve. Yeah, this isn't yeah. somebody that's winning you football games against the top teams in no. the Big Ten. So, you know, that's why I kind of, like, sat back and thought, huh, like, why, is, why would that be, like, considered different? Is it only because we know? Or, like, well, should I, they be still focusing on development because it was only year one and they should be working with those guys again who just got those game reps and, and they can feel good about where they're at? It's kind of like a weird spot, but ultimately where I landed was you have to bring somebody in that has success in not turning the football over Mm -hmm. and has had a lot of game reps. You need somebody that's played a lot of football. Like that, I think, is the two most important things right now. Somebody that has a lot of games on their tool belt and somebody that doesn't turn the football over. Yeah, I I think there's... So a couple things that I think make quarterback different are, A, nothing works on offense without a quarterback that's at least functional, right? You can afford to develop and hide, you know, maybe you've got a guard that you don't feel 100% about. You can scheme things up a certain way to send help his way with, you know, tight ends or blockers in the backfield or, you know, you can run away from his side of the line as much as possible. Like, there's things you can do to get around, say, a guard you don't feel great about. Or if you've got some receivers that don't, you know, we saw this with, with Malachi Coleman and, and, and Jalen Lloyd and, and some of the young guys, you know, yeah, they're not real comfortable running some of these routes. We're going to stay in their wheelhouse there. Or, you know, on defense, if your secondary is like, ah, you know, this guy is not really comfortable on an island, you can kind of roll help his way over the top or – you know, there's things you can do at almost every other position. It's really hard to hide a quarterback. And so, yeah, you can hand it up the ball off a ton, but you still have to be able to pass some, even if you go with what I wanted this year, which was like 12 to 15 pass attempts a game. That's 12 to 15 opportunities, which is, by the way, more than any wide receiver gets most games. It's as much as some running backs get, especially in this Nebraska offense, 12 to 15 carries was about what you could expect from the top rusher from running back all game. You know, your top tacklers are going to be 12 to 15 tackles a game. It's so hard to hide a quarterback that I think that's one of the things that makes it different. The other thing is if the defense is as good as we think it can be again next year, you're getting a lot of guys back. Yeah, you have to figure some stuff out at linebacker, but defensive line, really good shape. A secondary, I think, is going to be in really good shape. You get Tony White back, we hope, we think, you're going to be in really good shape. You almost owe it to your team to find somebody more competent than to make them suffer through another unknown season of quarterback play. Even if it's somebody who is solid, not spectacular, that's why I think you need to bring in two guys. I think you need to bring in a guy that is, like, rock solid maybe like a Will Howard type from Kansas State, somebody like that, where it's like, hey, is this guy going to win a Heisman? Absolutely not. Is he going to be all Big Ten? Probably not. Is he going to keep us on the rails for most of the season? Yes. And then if you want to bring in some, uh, a developmental guy, 
Obviously, you've got Daniel Kalen coming in as a as a high school guy that you want to try and develop, and he'll probably I, I think uh, be a part of that early signing period. Yeah, I, I believe he I believe he's uh, supposed to enroll early, but if you are going to be a developmental program, that's fine. But I think there's parts of the team that are too far advanced right now to make them suffer through not at least having a chance at the quarterback spot, which is kind of what we saw this year. Now, obviously, that's not what they planned for this year, right? Because they thought Jeff Sims was going to be different and be the guy and at least be the guy that we saw at Georgia Tech, right? And he wasn't any of that. He just he turned into something else Yeah, but entirely. there was still inconsistency in his game when he got here. Like There people, was. People, that was noticeable. But there so was. A, you have to find somebody that isn't noticeably inconsistent. Right. I think instead of taking the home run swing that they were with Jeff Sims, because I think they saw him and they're like, hey, if we can – develop him a little bit he can turn into a superstar I think you take hey we're going to take the real solid base hit here in like a Will Howard or you know whoever else right give me Will Rogers Will Howard Will Rogers give me that last name just the Wills give me um you know Will Howard too was in that Heisman race the past two seasons and er, earlier incredibly consistent he's been a super consistent guy I mean what second most passing yards in the SEC and he's got a what a ton of it playing experience that's what that's what I'm talking about Will Will Rogers Rogers. yeah yeah Will Howard's got the Adrian Martinez connection yeah so so that's already like rock solid and he's just a rock solid guy right but if you want to make a splash, should I save it? I'll save it. We'll save it for the next segment. A little bit of a tease here on Hard Hat Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Wrapping up hour number one here on Herd at Sports Radio. You can give us a call at 888-638-4876. That's the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Want to tell you real quick about our friends at Warhorse. They are the best place in Nebraska to place your sports bets. You can go to the casino in Lincoln or to Horseman's Park here in Omaha at 6303 Q Street to place your bets. They can do almost every major sporting event whether you're talking about pro college uh they do the fights they got props they got live bets they got straight bets oh, don't they i got, know they got the parlays that burned andrew this weekend um they've got everything uh, uh they've got you covered there at the uh, warhorse sportsbook uh check out the warhorse sportsbook app the warhorse casino app or warhorsecasino.com slash sportsbook for all the details and a full list of house rules. Warhorse Sportsbook, no bets, no glory. Yeah, so you killed it on your picks this week. Sure did. But you parlayed them in such a way that you won how much money? Uh, I went over. Zero dollars. <laughs> I, I went over. Yeah, no. Um, hopefully those were listening to the show um, on their you know, trek to their Thanksgiving gathering, maybe out of state. Um, maybe they were hiding yeah. somewhere in a house listening you know to the what? podcast yeah. to avoid they, the family. They had to, right? <laughs> you know, maybe you were in a sports betting station. You could do it. Uh, mobily. Mobily. Yeah. Or, no, I was actually going to say, you know, Nebraska's a sports betting state. Maybe it is. you snuck out. You yeah. went out the back door. Got, got over to car, Horseman's Park. Went over to Horseman's Park. Placed a quick bet. Got back before anybody knew you were gone. And uh, you rode Andrew's picks because they were on Fire. You asked me for some Thursday props. I gave them out. Yeah. If individually bet, 
If individually bet, Robbie. You won all two, the touchdown ones, right? Four. Five of the seven plays that I gave nice. all hit. And all the touchdown bets hit. So Montgomery touchdown, C.D. Lamb touchdown, and McCaffrey two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then we had plays stored up. For the weekend, we gave some college plays. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had some NFL plays, which I don't think we got to. All three NFL plays hit, by the way. So sorry that uh, uh, you weren't able to place those. But the college plays. Yeah. All three college plays, man. Yeah. They hit. They hit on the yeah. nose. Yeah, you, you just had to parlay them. Yeah, I'll take it. Yet I'm a greedy <laughs> son of a gun. And, uh, yeah, I, I came away with uh, nothing. But, you know, that's okay because – we live to fight another day. And yep. I feel like that's the same boat Nebraska's in, man. You live <laughs> to fight another day. So you, you teased a quarterback coming in, a, a transfer mm-hmm. portal quarterback. I think everybody agrees. You make a splash? We're looking at at least one. I want two. I want them to bring in two. Uh, kind of like they did a couple years ago. They brought in Chuba as more a developmental guy. They brought in um, – they brought in Casey Thompson as kind of an immediate starter guy. I think that's a method that can work, and I think that's what Nebraska needs to do here. You were talking about a quarterback that can make a splash. Who, who do you have in mind? Because Will Howard is kind of my safe pick, mm-hmm. right? Been very solid. Uh, obviously, you know, Adrian can maybe peer recruit him to Nebraska a little bit. I know they played under different coaching staffs, but it seems like Adrian still has a, a good amount of love for Nebraska. W- who's your splashy guy? So the only reason I was um, paying attention to this guy was because of Carson Browner. Shout out Elkhorn South. Okay. Matthew Sluka from Holy Cross. Okay. FCS quarterback. That's a deep cut. Now, he's been, you know, picking up steam now that other people Mm -hmm. have noticed his stats. And, like, you know, his his name has kind of bounced around with Notre Dame lately and things. Uh, But Notre Dame always plays it safe, so they're they're not going to. They're probably not going FCS, (laughs) right? Yeah, no shot. But uh, I was following him over the course of this season. And uh, let let me read you off his career statistics, okay? okay? 5,800 yards, 59 touchdowns, just 15 interceptions, okay? Okay. He's dual threat. Okay, I like dual threats. He's got 3,500 rushing yards and 38 touchdowns. That's pretty good. Okay. He's a hard yard guy. He's under the radar, but he's the perfect fit for Nebraska. Why? Because you don't have to change too much with him. Mm, You don't have to recreate the offense next year because of who you bring in. What was working for them this year, or at least what they like to do, Mm -hmm. is keep the ball on the ground, right? Have a quarterback that's a little bit mobile, maybe run the option. Matthew Saluka allows you to get a little – like. Get a little change okay. mixed in, but also not veer away too much from what you already know. Okay. And that's why I think Nebraska could really splash with a guy like him. He's got the stats to back it up. He's got the experience to back it up, his playing experience, mm-hmm. I mean. Will it translate to FBS? That's the million-dollar question. But it's hard to say that a guy of, of this caliber – couldn't be successful at at a Nebraska. Yeah, right? so my, my only hesitation, just kind of looking over some of the stats real quick, 
is the completion percentage prior to this year. Didn't crack 60% until this year. His third year as a star- starter, fourth year in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, just 62%. I, I, my concern would be raising a level that would drop back down into the 50s. That would be my concern. I think you want somebody, which other than that, and again, I haven't seen this guy play hardly at all, just a few highlights, right? So this is based purely on the statistics. I don't know if he had dozens of drops every year, which is entirely possible. You see that a lot sometimes at lower levels when you've got a guy that maybe can make some throws that guys aren't used to seeing. Sometimes you get some receivers that make drops. Uh, I think they probably want a guy that can that they're comfortable with completing at a decently high percentage. That would be my only hesitation on a guy like Matthew Sluka. And the other thing is, so for a guy like him who you're talking about his last year of eligibility is that's a guy you probably walk into as like, that's going to be your starter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know with a guy that is going from FCS to FBS, that's a little bit of a harder sell for me. I'm not saying it's out of the question. Maybe they get into this guy, they, they get into this guy's life. They like love his mindset. And then like, if they, if, if that's the deal, I'm, I'm okay with it. But there is, I think there's there's an inherent risk, right, when you're – I mean, honestly, when you're talking about any transfer quarterback, but especially ones that haven't played at the FBS level. And I, I wouldn't rule it out. You know, we saw um, Cam Ward at Washington State be uh, super effective. We've seen it before uh, with – I believe his name was Vernon Davis. Nope, that was the tight end for the – Vernon Carey, uh, the quarterback for Oregon a few years back. Um, I believe he's the one that replaced Mariota uh, at as an Eastern Washington transfer. So it's worked out. We've seen it work before. Um, but there would be – I would be a little bit hesitant just because it's such an unknown, right? It's Most of these other guys, like Will Howard. I've seen Will Howard play a ton mm-hmm. of football. Mm-hmm. Will Rogers. I've seen Will Rogers play a ton of football. Um, you know, even like – I don't want this guy, but Spencer Petrus. I've seen Spencer Petrus play a ton of football. I'm good there. I, I can pass on Spencer Petrus. Um, but like a Max Johnson's interesting. He played at LSU, Texas A&M. Um, he's got some some experience at high major uh, college football level. The guys that I'm interested in, honestly, though, are I, I'm really curious about some of the younger guys they might go after. Um this isn't a younger guy, but uh, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami just went in the transfer portal. He's a, a was a highly talented, highly touted guy coming out of high school as well. But I'm interested in some of the guys that maybe haven't played a ton yet um, that I think could be longer-term answers for Nebraska. Not that they're going to start next year. I think you're probably going to have some sort of, sort of a stopgap type guy for next year. But I am really interested in, in to see – who they think the long-term answer is at quarterback. Well, so the completion percentage doesn't bother me. Okay. And I'll step in and say that first because it's been trending in the right direction. Sure, which is good. And, yeah. and so it, it would be hard for me to imagine that that would take a major step back next season if everything's been trending upward. What really sticks out is his interception turnover totals have stayed, stayed pretty low. Yeah. consistently Four, low. five, six, somewhere in that range, yeah. 
I don't even think it's reached six before. I think he's only ever got it up to five. Yeah. And this is somebody that if you're looking to make a splash, you go get because he's so under the radar. He's going to be overlooked because he is in his final year, because he is coming from FCS, and he played at a school like Holy Cross and doesn't have uh, the maybe the compete level that you know a Van Dyke has or a Howard has or a Rogers has or a Shaw has. As. You know, this is somebody that kind of just fits what Nebraska is all about, right? Finding that diamond in a rough. And, and this is him. The, he embodies what Nebraska is outside of the fact that he's on his final year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If he had more, more years had of like eligibility, two years remaining, it, would, be, it yeah. would be the ideal fit. For Nebraska, but still, even though he's on his last year, and that you know Nebraska is all about you know development, that's why it's okay to have a one-stop shop guy, mm-hmm. because what Nebraska's missing right now is a gamer. They need somebody that is just a complete difference maker. They didn't have that this year. They had guys that like showed they could be that. Sure, maybe like Jalen Lloyd when he made some splash plays. But he wasn't involved enough to be a, a literal gamer. Emmett Johnson showed some life, but he didn't get, um, he, he didn't compile at least the stats enough to be, uh, like, at least given the trophy of being a gamer. No quarterback was a gamer this year. No difference maker. Who was it last year? Trey Palmer. Yeah. Trey Palmer's a gamer. And that's what made Nebraska successful in the latter weeks. They need to find a gamer. Coming up next, we've got Adam McClintock. We're going to talk some college football coaching changes here on our Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Wrapping up hour number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live from the H&H Chevrolet stage on AM590 ESPN Omaha and ESPN Tri-Cities. And we are brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman's has four great Omaha area locations and They've been family-owned and operated in Omaha for over 25 years, including being voted first place best of Omaha 18 years running. And that's for a couple reasons. It's because they invest in the latest technology to stay up to date so that they can work on Teslas, Fords, whatever you got. You got a Ford. I got a Jeep. They can work on whatever you mm-hmm. want, whatever you need. There was a Tesla in the parking lot there, when we pulled there up. There was a Tesla in the parking lot. Uh, Dingman's has you covered there. The second thing they invest in is their community, which is our community as well. With every car repaired, Dingman's gives back. You can find out more at dingmans.com. Love my people at Dingman's. They've got me hooked up for January for a car repair, which is actually a great position for Dingman's to be in yeah. because they are so flooded with, uh, with service yeah. right now that if you want you know, uh, your car fixed up in any way, you got to schedule it out like, yeah. and, and make sure to get on their schedule now because that's what I did. When I uh, was going through my insurance, yeah. 
I had to get an estimate from them first before I could schedule. And I'm like, sure. hey, I'm going to use you guys. <laughs> Can I schedule ahead yeah. of time? And they're like, we just need like paperwork in order to make sure that that you know, can officially Everything get done. Goes through, yeah. And so I'm like, shoot. So I like made sure to get in there right like the day after and I got myself <laughs> scheduled. I, th- they were open December like 27th, okay? Mm-hmm. In less than a day, it was January 18th. <laughs> like that's how backed up they are at Dingman's. A great problem to have, but it's because so many of you out there use them. And it's because... It's worth the wait. It is worth they the wait. are going to do uh, the best job possible for you. Uh, so make sure you give our friends at Dingman's a visit, dingmans.com. Uh, want to switch gears here? Give us a little, been very football heavy, very football y we today. Uh, we're going to switch gears here and go to our Hurt at Hot Seat, where hot, hot. I'm only going to get hot, a little hot. less football y, but because I, you know, I, I'm. We're, my, our conversation with Adam got my, my brain moving a little bit, you know, mm. and always does. You know, I, I think we both kind of have an affinity. You mentioned uh, Sluka, the quarterback from Holy Cross. I think we both kind of have an affinity for like under the radar guys, whether it's quarterbacks, coaches, prospects, whatever. Um, and, and we talked to Adam about this a little bit, but I wanted to ask you what current non power five coach. Mm. Would you be targeting if you were an athletic director with a job opening? Whoa. That's heavy. Because there's a few guys that have always been, and I can go first. So you have a minute to think about it because it is it is a big one to, to kind of think about. I have somebody on the, on the brain right now, but I don't just – I don't want to – I want to get – Take a, you can take, I want the landscape, you man. You can take I, a second. I, yeah, yeah. Let me, so my guy's let me easy because I've been obsessed with this guy for a hot minute, and that's Jamie Chadwell. I love Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carol at Coastal Carolina. I love him now at Liberty. I was shocked that he didn't get a better job than the Liberty job last year. I thought he was going to get uh, maybe looked at for that Georgia Tech job. Um, I thought I think Jamie Chadwell is one of the one of the best coaches in college football. His offense is super innovative and interesting. It is a modernization of those. Uh, triple option principles in terms of uh, putting the defense in positions where they constantly have to make decisions. That's really hard for a defense to do and to get it right every time. Um, it's a, it's he's super fun to watch, even though it is a pretty run heavy system, um, which a lot of people don't equate those things as as being fun to watch. As you know, some of those air it out. I love, love, love Jamie Chadwell. My wild card, not technically a outside the power five anymore, but he was for a long time. I also really love Kalani Sataki from BYU. Love that dude. <laughs> Always have. Love the way BYU plays football. They build from the lines out, uh, you know, and, and they just, I love the way they play football. So those are kind of my two guys. Um, Sataki had a really nice run there for a while. They struggle a little bit in the last couple of years, uh, but those are those are kind of my guys. So uh, I thought the easy answer would be Jeff Trailer, which is why Ooh, I didn't good bring one. him up. Yep, good one. Troy Calhoun's kind of my guy, mm-hmm. but he's 
he's a little up there in, hey, in and the he's pretty age entrenched. Column. He's been what yeah. he's been there for twenty five years. And he's not he's going not anywhere. Not going anywhere. No. Um, you know, the other one is Willie Fritz, but he's also way up there in age. Yeah, like, he's in his early. I think 60s. he's sixty two, something like yeah, that. He's up there, and I just don't see him like making a huge impact wherever he goes, at least for a long time. So I wanted to kind of sit more in the younger crowd. Yeah, he's sixty three. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I've always liked Jeff Munkin. I have, too, from Army. Yeah. I, I know, know they've struggled lately, but I've, he's, he's a winner. He's, and they, honestly, if you, to win the deg- at the degree that he did at Army mm-hmm. is maybe one of the hardest things we've ever seen in college football to accomplish. He is. I mean, at, he, he was very successful at Georgia Southern. Yes. Had a lot of 10-win seasons. And he has been at I, – I really wish he would get a shot somewhere other than a service academy. Right. Because he's been adamant that he wouldn't run a strict triple option. And I'm just curious what it would look like, you know, because obviously the service academies are, are very different jobs. I'm curious what his offense would look like at a different school. Now, uh, an interesting name is uh, John Sumrall at Troy. Okay. Very, uh, very interesting for the reason of I, I love what he does defensively. Um, so, so that name intrigues me a little bit. But if I, if I had to sit, I'd, I'd probably go with Munkin. Okay. I, I'd, I'd, like to just, I'd just like to see Munkin get, get his chance, get his shot. Um, and, and, you know, if that time did come, I, I'd. He's just a guy you cheer for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the YouTube channel, uh, somebody brought up Rhett Lashley as a guy that um, is early on in his career at SMU, uh, but he is 17-8 and eight in his first two years, including 10-2 and two this mm-hmm. year. So Rhett Lashley, a good one. Uh, Sean Lewis, who was at Kent State, then went to Colorado to be the OC, got play calling duties stripped away. Um, that was a very... Uh, uh, it's a very strange, right? Um, right. Very strange situation there. Um, but Sean Lewis is a guy that Travis brings up. Um, you know, John Summerall is interesting because he's young, and yeah. that's why I like him a lot too. But he's won immediately at mm-hmm. Troy, and that's attractive. Yeah. Like last year, he went twelve and two. He won a bowl game uh, after starting the season like three and four. Yeah. And then this year, what's Troy? Ten and two. Oh, I'd have to look I it up. I think they have another 10-win season. I think they're in that neighborhood. I mean, this is a guy that uh, won't be at Troy very long. No, I, I can't imagine. Especially because he is 44. No, he's 41. Yeah. They oh, are, my. They were 10-2 and two this year. So yeah, they, this, is, this is somebody that is going to be like, hey, uh, you know, Power 5 is going to come knocking a little yeah, earlier I, than I, normal. I wonder if, you know, some of these – because I don't know how many – I don't know how many of these non-Power 5 jobs are better jobs than Troy is. Um, you know, I wonder if like a Boise State, which has a commitment to football in a lot of ways that other group of five schools don't necessarily. But, you know, there's – you look at like Syracuse, Houston, Duke, Oregon State. Oregon State's in a really tricky spot. You wonder if they would take a chance on a guy because of their sort of ambiguity mm-hmm. – um, but it's hard to to leave even a group of five school to say, hey, I'm going to Oregon State, which could easily become a power, group of five school. Five school and, right? and it's it's a hard job, right? Location and, and things like that. It's a really challenging job. And so 
that's why, man, Oregon State's in like, that's why I almost think like a Munkin would make sense at Oregon State. Because well, Washington um, it, it did the right thing by moving, yes, right? Yeah. Because you're keeping Kalen DeBoer secured. Yes. Um, same thing with Oregon. Like, I know Dan Lanning has been, you know, connected to job this, job that, but I think he's stuck at Oregon right now. For now, yeah. You'd have to have a really big job open for either of those guys to move on, I think, but, especially with them in the Big Ten. But Oregon State and Washington State They're are in a just tough in, spot. like, this weird funk of, yes, they have all this money, Yeah. Uh, but who are they sharing with? Right. Yeah. Well, or, 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 and how much money can you actually touch? Yeah. At this point, I don't know that they can touch any of it. It's kind of pending litigation, right? So you're kind of in a, a limbo in that sense, in terms of that Pac-12 money that's sort of just sitting in an account somewhere. Um, but I think you're, you know, you look at a guy like like Jake Dickert, who's a, I think a good football coach. You know, is he more likely to move on rather than wait and figure out? Honestly, I think that's why Jonathan Smith took a job that. Probably he probably could have gotten a better job next year. Uh, maybe could have gotten a better job if he just waited it out to see, like uh, Adam was saying, like there's probably seven to ten more jobs that are going to open up in the FBS. But he probably looked at it as an opportunity as like, hey, I got to get out of Oregon State. Like this is just a tough spot to be mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. right now. Um, did you have one real quick? We like thirty seconds. Uh, we could. Uh- <laughs> we could save it. We'll save it. We'll, we'll see. Well, here, since we're talking about coaches, yeah. I'll, I'll ask you this. Who's okay. one coach you'd jump off a bridge for? Ooh. Um, if he or she told you to jump off a bridge, who's one coach you would just that's say? A tough, okay. That's a tough one. Um, is it – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exclude anybody that's currently coaching at Nebraska, but I, my, my gut was Kalen DeBoer. Just right off the top of my head, I thought DeBoer. Really? I, I love that dude. I think he's so good at what he does. Okay. What about you? I don't know if I have one. I don't <laughs> think I'd jump off a bridge. <laughs> uh, that is Heard at Hot Seat. We may revisit a few more Hot Seat questions a little bit later. But coming up next, it's time for Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. <laughs> You're listening to Heard at Sports Radio. Kicking off hour number three here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here as well. What up? We are on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are waiting on or do we have shape here, Shane? He's, he's here. He's logging in now. Logging no, in, in now. All right. We uh, we will have shape here in just a second. You know, you, you asked that question about who I would jump off a bridge for. And the answer I wanted to give was going to come off as super cheesy, but I'll just give it now, is I wanted to say Matt Rule because if he asked me to jump off a bridge, it was probably for my own good. Like something was chasing me I didn't see or it was safe at the bottom and I didn't realize it. Uh, so that would have been my answer because I genuinely think he has like best interests for people held out. <laughs> He's like, hey, it's actually deep. It's about 20 feet deep. Yeah, You're good. You'll be okay. Yeah, just like, just don't belly flop. You'll be fine. Um, but we've got Mike Schaefer joining us now from Husker 24-7. Schaefer, what's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. Just, you know, uh, continuing to not talk about last night's <laughs> football game or last week's Sunday night football game or just football in general. I'm 
I'm due for a good bye week here. Nobody that I uh, care about or have to cover is playing this weekend, and I'm going to just enjoy the fact that I am not tied or invested to any football game that could potentially end on a field goal after a bunch of no <laughs> offense for hours at a time. Shafe, is Kevin O'Connell a coach that you jump off a bridge for? Uh, depends on the week. I mean, it's really – I feel like you get <laughs> I thought you were a say really, depends really, on the really bridge. well-coached game, um, and then you, you show up and it's like, all right, they didn't throw the challenge flag on the Jordan Addison what looked like a catch to me. It looked right like away, a catch right to me too. The, the the bat. And then you're really aggressive in the middle of the field most of the game, and it gets to you just need one first down to effectively end this thing. Two runs right into the line of scrimmage against the uh, number one rush defense in the NFL over the last six weeks. And a uh, backwards pass to Brandon Powell. It's, um, you know, and then a 22 yard punt. It was great. Love watching football. Highly recommend watching football. Everybody do it. You always are happy when I mean, you watch football. I mean, Shafe, though, okay, we're talking 22-yard punts. We've got four turnovers from the quarterback. You probably felt right at home like you're watching a Husker game. Yeah, it's been like this for the last year, more or less. <laughs> you know, just a lot of uh, – let's see, the the Vikings have six one-score losses in their six games this year. Sounds um, about right. That sounds perfect. familiar. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, you know – so, yeah. so Dobbs mania is over. Is that safe to we're, we're, we're good I don't there? Know. Like, so it's, it's definitely not the fever pitch that it was when he had to come back against the Falcons and then the big start against the saints. Uh, I still think that there's ways that you can utilize him, but there's a very obvious reason why he wasn't a highly regarded quarterback and has bounced around from several teams, but it's, it's, you know, it's also one of those things where if they have Justin Jefferson, the last two weeks, you maybe don't lose by one point and two points. So it's really, you know, it's hard to say. Like, give him the full complement of weapons. Maybe he's a little bit better. But, yeah, he's, he's a turnover-prone quarterback that uh, can be exciting and can be infuriating. And, um, you know, it, it certainly – I joked the other day that if he could just give his legs and his eyebrows to Kirk Cousins and we could just roll with that, that'd be a pretty <laughs> unstoppable quarterback. Hey, Shave. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, this this is a great transition into something we were talking about earlier on in the show: development or portal? Because that's the question this coaching staff is going to have to answer. Because the easy answer would be development, knowing what we know about this staff, right? Because of what they preach. But the problem with that is, you know, fans heard great things about Harburg and Purdy in the spring, and then uh, they they preached that development. You saw that development, but then you know we got a little sense of what they offered in the fall, and it, no one was satisfied with that. So, is it necessary to make a splash in the portal? Uh, for the Huskers to get to where they want to be? Well, I, I definitely think they have to find at least one quarterback in the portal. The interesting question is, can you use the portal to find a quarterback to develop um, that you want, that you know fits what you ultimately would like to do? And the thing is, there's going to be a lot of freshmen, sophomores available in the portal, but they could be guys that don't have a lot of playing reps. How comfortable are you reevaluating their high school film, uh, going off a of practice film they might have, or spring game film? And utilizing that, or does Nebraska need to take two quarterbacks? And one of them is a veteran that could step in right away, but maybe spent last year at a group of five or an FCS and is looking for an opportunity to move up and isn't someone that can't be unseated, but maybe just gets the job to start with because he's steady. And then your younger guy could come through and take the job or Chuba could take the job or Heinrich or whomever. 
Um, there's lots of different ways that this can go. And a lot of, I think this week is just going to be keeping an eye on who goes into the portal and then what sort of fit that would be for Nebraska. Um, you know, when the, when you sort of look at it, I mean, I, I look at a guy, um, the Michigan state quarterback that just went in. If Nebraska had that version of a quarterback for six games this year, they probably go two and four in those six games, or, you know, if you use the five games that they've lost, they maybe go two and three in those. And we're talking about a seven and five team. That's bowling is, is, uh, is it is it Caitlin Hauser or I yeah Hauser? How uh-huh. exactly. yeah. Well, they also but, lost what what Levitt leave it. I, I think. Oh, did he, he go yeah, in he, too? He went in too, yeah. which makes Michigan State's you know whole thing even more interesting because they just got a new head coach and Jonathan Smith. So are these two guys right. just like, hey, I guess I'm screwed, or is it, hey, I don't want to play for you? It, it could be a combination of, hey, I don't want to be in East Lansing anymore. Hey, I don't want to play for you. Hey, this isn't a program I signed up for. Or hey, I just need a fresh start. Um, it could be all of those things. Mm-hmm. I the the point I'm trying to make is that we watched Deacon Hill take Iowa to a ten and two record without having to play a whole lot of good quarterback uh, in that stretch. But you have to be competent, and Nebraska certainly had some competency issues. Uh, the the biggest thing is can they build a team where the quarterback doesn't have to be the focal point? That has not been the case for Nebraska football for how long? Like they desperately needed the quarterback to be the sun in this program every single year and we don't have to see teams built like that uh to have success in college football right now matt rule hasn't built teams where it's all about the quarterback so the other part of it can you find a guy who can you know lift you up but doesn't have to be everything and you can put enough talent around him do they have enough offensive talent for whoever it is to be the quarterback to also be successful i mean these are are fairly elementary questions but they're ones that i think are kind of hard to answer right now It'd be hard for Matt Rule to look people in the face and say, yeah, we've got enough offensive talent for you to thrive without having to be a star. And that's a big thing. I mean, they've got some interesting freshmen, but you can't sit here and tell me if you're a quarterback and you're looking at the running back room and you're like, yeah, I'm excited about this. Or you're looking at the wide receiver room. You're like, okay, well, this guy has a bunch of long touchdown catches, but he has nine catches overall. Here's another <laughs> freshman with like six catches. Here's one with two. Um, here's Alex Bullock, you know, with 12 catches. Like there's just not, there's not a lot of returning production for a quarterback to look at and be like, okay, this thing is built to be super successful. It just needs me here. So there's going to have to be a heck of a sales pitch. I'm, I'm fascinated the type of quarterback, the background that that quarterback has, how many of them. Uh, but the offense isn't just going to be fixed simply because they get a quarterback either. Like there's there's some other issues that have to be figured out too. Shafe, uh, amongst those other issues, I think you know you probably like to get a little bit more production uh, in the door from the wide receiver room. I'd imagine even even if you like the young guys and what they showed this year, I imagine the running back spot is another place where you'd like to see that as well uh, with out a running back in the class now with the decommitment of Lacey a little while back. Is is there some guys that they're looking at that you're aware of in this 2024 class, or do you think they go portal to try and find help at those skill spots? I think they have a lot of options that they can go with. Obviously, I believe it was Devin Riley uh, that was just in this weekend, Boise State commit. Uh, Nebraska did not offer him, and I don't get the sense that they're going to offer him. Uh, there's a bit of a stalemate. They mentioned that he could come back for an official visit 
I don't think he's going to come back for an official visit if he doesn't have an offer. He really did like Nebraska, Mm -hmm. but he didn't get a meet with Matt Rule. So it's hard to say that he's a priority. It felt more like a cursory glance, bring a kid in, uh, you know, unofficial visit. Um, and see see what you sort of think from a body size perspective, but you're not committed to anything that way. There's a guy who just decommitted from Utah and Lamar Radcliffe, uh, running back out of California as well. Um, could be one that Nebraska tries to bring in for a visit. There's a kid down in Hutchinson Community College where they're also recruiting a wide receiver, a special teams uh, kind of ace and Trey Richardson. His teammate, Tyrell Reed, uh, also played prep, at can or in the state of Kansas, he is a leading rusher for Hutchinson. They're the number one seed, the the NJ double C, um, a uh, and they're um, or is it double double NJC double A? Yeah, you got it. Whatever, it's nine in the morning. I deserve I deserve some grace here, folks. Um, so you know there there's options for them that are around. I don't know that there's anything that's going to be like, oh, you missed out on a guy that people felt could be maybe your number one running back very early in his career in Kawan Lacey. I just don't I don't know that there's going to be a one for one pickup there. I would like to see them go into the portal and get someone who fits sort of a a power component for your running back room because you know if you want that body blow thing to be real. You needed more than probably just Gabe Irvin. You're hoping that he would stay healthy. I don't think you can bank on Gabe Irvin. I don't think you can bank on Ramir Johnson. I think Emmett Johnson is a nice complimentary piece, but he needs something to go with him. And I think they have to go find that in the portal. And I, the nice thing is with, with what they need at running back and wide receiver, I don't think they have to, you know, if you can get a star, great. You know, if you can fall into the next Kenneth Walker, fantastic. <laughs> if you can get Samari Toure, you know, hats off to you. I think they need complementary pieces that can help their offense, but they don't have to go get like someone that has to have the ball two hundred times. Like I, they they need some extra depth, extra depth because they do believe in these young players. They're going to give them opportunities. So I I don't think that it it has to be you have to go get a star. That's the nice thing about where they're at roster wise, but it also kind of has to work. So you need to be judicious and make sure you get as good of a player as you can with acknowledging that it doesn't have to be like a superstar and they're they more than likely wouldn't get one. I mean, I don't, it's hard. You know, we talk about how much money 1890 and, and everything that they have. I mean, Nebraska hasn't exactly gone in the portal outside of Trey Palmer, which was a unique circumstance and Samari Toure, which was before NIL and blown anybody away with who they pulled out. I mean, their best portal addition is Jamari Butler, who is on their roster and they just prevented from leaving. I mean, mm-hmm. legitimately, that was their best portal addition for the 2023 season. So, um, uh, ben Scott. I mean, those are your two. Sure. Mm-hmm. Those are your, your one-two. And, and you know, Shave, I'm happy you brought up Ben Scott because I was thinking about the offensive line here because I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying about a quarterback, and, you know, they can't just come in and think like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, I'm the missing piece. Or, you know, just the same with the running back. Like, you know, it, it's hard to kind of appeal to guys like that but, you know, when you look at the offensive line and you see the, the upgrade that they made from last year to this year, and, you know, we know that, but how, how do you, like, present that to guys either in the portal or even recruits and saying, like, hey, look, the O-line, they're on the up and up, and you'll be protected here, you'll have big runs here. Do they have to just hear that from the coaches, or can they see that themselves, do you think? I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. 
I think the easiest way is you take the overall stats from 2022 and then you just push them up against 2023. I think sacks are way down. Um, and I would anticipate that your running numbers look a lot better. And so those two things alone, and then you can be like, we're going to have four out of five starters return plus guys that have, you know, experience. I, I think you can utilize the offensive line as a selling point by just doing the raw numbers. And if people want to go in and watch the games themselves and see what would be in front of them, then they're going to do that. But I don't know that you have to, you know, at least surface level. I don't know that you have to do a lot of window dressing because they're clearly better than they were last year. It'll also be a veteran offensive line uh, that you return to. Um, I would stop well short of saying that they're good. Uh, But I would, I mean, compared to what they were last year, Mm -hmm. it's hard to not say that they aren't very improved. And at least as you look at the offense, the most complete part of the offense that they have right now. I mean, they, they, they probably know who their starting five is most likely to be if they're healthy at this point. Uh, you can't really say that about any other position on offense, save for tight end. And they were their own sort of disappointment in 2023. Uh, Shafe, going back to the recruiting class a little bit here, um, I know we had talked a lot about uh, Carlon Jones and the uh, the attention he's been getting from other schools. I know, you know, Carter Nelson had the Notre Dame visit and things like that. Um, is there... Is there any guys in this class that you're looking at as, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to end up actually signing with Nebraska? Like, who would those guys be at this point? The the two big ones, Ja'Cory Barney, uh, the wide receiver that committed to Nebraska in July, uh, committed to Nebraska over Miami. And then Arizona has been really involved there. And I think that's, that's something to watch. But he's got a really good relationship with Garrett McGuire. And also um, – his mom wants him to go to Nebraska and generally in recruiting moms tend to have a lot of say in what happens. Uh, and so the fact that she feels as strong as she does about Nebraska, about her son leaving Miami and going somewhere and, and just sort of getting out and seeing, you know, what else is out there. And I think that will help. Now, this is a big week. Coaches can go on a road starting Wednesday, I believe. Um, I've got to double check on that, but I think Mm -hmm. it's Wednesday. And so you're going to get the opportunity to stop by multiple times the Barney household or, you know, the school and just continue to reaffirm what should already be known to him, which is he's an early enrollee. I believe he can get here early. He can go practice right away and he can put himself in position where he and Jaden Doss and Jalen Lloyd, if you want to use them there, can all play a little bit of slot wide receiver I mean, Ja'Cory Barney played quarterback, running back, wide receiver. I believe he returned punts and kicks. Like, he is the sort of athlete that Nebraska needs to prioritize, even though they already have committed. Like, they need to make sure that kid signs. So, he's one of them. Um, Carlin Jones is another. I'm More so than Ohio State, I am fascinated if Mike Elko at, at Texas A&M mm. will offer some of these Nebraska commits that are in Texas that are nearby, guys like Gibson Pyle. Uh, Carlin Jones come to mind. Um, those are probably the top two. Uh, one's in Houston, one's in nearby Houston. And I, Carlin Jones has already been to an A&M game this year. He's good friends with the running back that committed last year, whose name is escaping uh, me, but he went to, to Texas A&M. They trained together. Um, I, I feel okay about Carlin Jones right now. That's one I'm going to check on today. Hope to have more information uh, at Husker 24-7 on that. But for right now, I think okay is sort of 
how I feel. But I'm, I'm definitely watching what Texas A&M does in the early days of Mike Elko because it's it would make a lot of sense for them to look at, okay, these guys are leaving the state. We need to keep some positions here. They, you know, go hard in state right away first year. Carla Jones makes a ton of sense. Uh, Shafe, you mentioned some guys that can possibly be uh, early enrollees in potential targets. Who is who are some of the guys in this class that you're most interested in that could be early enrollees that are already committed to Nebraska? Yeah, um, so we know Kalen's going to be there in the spring. Uh, he'll be part of the quarterback mix. I don't think he'll actually be challenging uh, as a true freshman, but he'll be in that mix. So that alone is sort of always interesting to see. Carlin Jones could be an early enrollee, but in this case, his mom wants to see him walk across the stage with his graduation class. Uh, I think it's one of those situations where he'd be one of the few people in his family to have done that. Mm. And so that's kind of one of those emotional things on top of it. It's really good at track. Uh, and so there's a chance that he might stick around, but there was, he would have the credits. He would need to file something, I think by the first of December. So we're coming up on it, uh, for, for Carlin Jones. Um, you know, and then from there, the wide receiver situation for Nebraska. I mean, it's, it's Ja'Cory Barney. I think some of these tight ends are coming in early. I believe Ian Flint might be an early guy as well. Um, so we'll we'll have to kind of keep an eye on it. But Ja'Cory Barney would be the really big one, I think, uh, if that if that all plays out how it's expected. Shafe, um, Grant Ricks, the latest on him, because, you know, we see a ton, sh- uh, you know, shuffling through uh, the recruiting mix with his name and, and his connection to Nebraska. But it's still yet to like, you know, the links are yet to be attached. How can that get done? Well, here's how it can get done. He can just publicly make his decision. <laughs> I mean, that's basically where we're at. Like, Is it just if, so? So that's where if, you really believe it, there's nothing else yeah, Nebraska I mean, if, can do. If you're following the tea leaves right now, after an Oklahoma coach shows up to watch him play in a playoff game, he appears at a Nebraska football game. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, he goes to an Oklahoma game. And then he was set to go to, to Kansas State, Iowa State on Saturday. And instead, cancels that visit and is at Nebraska, Iowa for Black Friday. I mean, it just it feels like this thing is going uh, heavily in one direction. Um, you know, I, I'll take you back to the comments that Matt Rule made that he had, uh, you know, he had a player who wanted to join the program after the Wisconsin game. We mm. haven't seen a public commit yet. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not saying for sure that's Grant Bricks, but it sure feels like Nebraska is in a really strong position right here with someone that they've recruited really hard, and the entire time Nebraska made more sense than the other places simply because he didn't strike me as someone who's going to go far from home, and Nebraska's proximity from his front door is about. 88 minutes so i i would be shocked at this point if it's not grant bricks for nebraska and i think we're going to hear something relatively soon sometime within the next week you mentioned that 88 minute commute to his hometown from nebraska are they going to give him the semi as part of his nil deal (laughs) Mm, i had not asked that but that is uh you'd have to talk with um with Selden Trucking, I think Monty <laughs> Selden is the one who who handles that and has for years. I just I don't know that he's in a position to just give away semis. Mm-hmm. But listen, if he is, and listen. the NCAA allows it, or if it's an NIL type gift, that's and, what I mean. 
And what we have is Grant Bricks is actually a semi truck driver apprentice. <laughs> and so, you know, when he's not learning the the art form of being an offensive lineman, you know, he is he's out there driving the truck and making sure stuff gets where it needs to be on schedule. Uh, you know, we we rely on our truck drivers here in America. And so we might be relying on Grant Bricks pretty soon. Maybe he's going to be an intern with the equipment truck people and he can, you know, kind of work it in that way. It's a kind of a, a student work, uh, kind of one of those deals like the rest of us had to do that would, that weren't on Division One scholarships. No, he'll have I'm a full just, ride. Or, he doesn't or you know, I, he might need to get that uh, – call Sap Brothers up, get him a gas card for that uh, semi as well because that might be where it really gets him. I think there would be a little bit of a fight if Grant Bricks just came out and said not only is he open to being recruited for football – but he's open to be recruited by a trucking company to <laughs> run the business. I mean, you might get you might get everyone kind of flying in on that one. Werner's knocking down their doors. <laughs> here come the Hill Brothers. <laughs> Everybody. Hey, Shave, quickly here. You mentioned an 88-minute commute. Try a four-and-a-half-hour commute. Uh, there is a quarterback in Algona, Iowa, that is still connected with Nebraska, the latest on Alex Mansky. Yeah, I talked with him probably about 10 days or so ago, and he remains – he loves Nebraska. I mean, he just has such a strong uh, feeling towards his coaching staff. I feel good about where they're at with him. He did say, you know, in our interview, he was hoping Nebraska would make a bowl game because one of the things he hasn't been able to experience yet on all of his visits, he wants to just go see a practice. He's been to a game day. He's been to recruiting events. He's been to a train – or like to, you know, Nebraska's football camp – but he wants to go to a practice because he wants to see what it's like. Uh, he wants to see what Marcus Satterfield is like, you know, coaching and what Matt Rule does during this. And he wants to just see what a normal day would have been like for a football player. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of where it's at with him. And he won't have that opportunity until the spring. But I think he'll be committed somewhere before then, and, and it could be Nebraska. Sorry, Shane. Mike J. Schaefer from Husker 24-7. We appreciate people that recognize the out music. We will uh, talk to you again next week, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good one. See you, Schaefer. That's Mike J. Schaefer, Husker 24-7 Sports. Coming up next, do a little bit more Hurt at Hot Seat here Uh-oh. on Hurt at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are returning to the Herd at Hot Seat since we, as always, got about one question in the last time uh, we went up. I went first last time. Andrew, you take it away. All right. Hey, college basketball question. Ooh, okay. I know. I had to break it up a little bit. Yeah. What is your favorite okay. college basketball memory of all time? Ooh. So this one is, I mean, I could split this up into a couple different divisions. I could do like a Creighton and a non-Creighton mm-hmm. division. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Creighton, there's really two moments that stick out. It's Doug McDermott getting 3,000 points on senior night, which was incredible. Uh, the other one is Creighton clinching the Big East title on the last day of the regular season against Seton Hall in 2020, uh, which was also incredible. 
Um, those are by far my favorite Creighton moments um, in terms of stuff that I haven't, like, worked. Sure. Um, in non-Creighton, my favorite college basketball moment is probably – this is weird, but I am kind of obsessed with the ending of the 2016 national championship game with North Carolina and Villanova, oh, where the, Marcus uh, Page yeah. double clutches uh -huh. the three to tie it. Villanova comes back with Archie Diacono to Chris Jenkins uh, for the three to win it at the buzzer. There's just something about a buzzer beater to that win a, a national title that is um, – it just sticks out with me pretty aggressively. Um, that's probably, if we're talking about like one single memory, it's probably that sequence of plays that's, uh, that's way up there. By the way, that when McDermott scored those 3,000 points, that game right there had Super Bowl-like postgame. I mean, that postgame was the longest extended <laughs> postgame of all time. Did you have to cut it up? I had to cut it up. Some was it yes. fun? Yeah, it was, it was okay. But, I mean, it was, just, it was just that sort of feeling to it. I mean, that's, that's the – thing I remember from being behind the scenes there. My favorite college basketball memory of all time, and I'll do a one and the other just like you did, okay. because I called a game for Lindenwood when I was a junior, and we were on the road, which seemed like forever, and mm -hmm. let's just say Lindenwood didn't go to the most glamorous cities <laughs> in America. Sure. We ended up in the Emporia, Kansases of the world. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Missouri Westerns, which is right okay. down the road. Yep. Missouri Southern, you know, places like that. And I remember I, I was also, like, helping pay through college because I would, I would officiate, mm -hmm. um, which I – told you during a break I have 19 games that's too weekend, many games which is insane. that's too many games sir yeah <laughs> you know, it's what you do uh, when, whenever you're in need of a little bit of bread um, but I uh, I was calling this game and it was a buzzer beater three like you're talking about a guy named Jackson Price dribbling down uh, there's about seven seconds to go well first yeah it was a tie um, the opponent from Missouri Southern hit a three to tie it so uh Jackson Price gets the inbounds pass. Uh, he dribbles down himself, okay? Not a point guard on the team. He's the shooting guard of this team, but makes his way down the court himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm calling this game, and uh, I, I, could, I can – I'll just reiterate what I said. The inbound pass finds Price. Mm -hmm. He crosses half court with eight seconds remaining. He pulls up for three. And then I just go, Jackson Price, he made it, he made it. <laughs> I'm one of eight people in this gym, okay? <laughs> no one attended this basketball game. And I'm, like, standing up. Oh, shoot, did I unplug something? You did, you did unplug. You might, oh, you unplugged both of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear us still, Shane? Oh, I think we're back. Okay. Right, we're back. I can hear you. Yeah, okay. Shane or uh, Andrew I stand got, up. Andrew I got, got too a little excited. excited. Yeah, much I like you did up, while calling this play. And I'm, like, holding my hands in the air like a three. <laughs> like, a, like a field goal is good. Okay? And I'm like, he made it. Jackson Price, what a clutch three by the guy wearing the jersey number three. <laughs> no one's next to me at this time. Uh, but I'm, like, looking all around. I turn around, and there's, like, four Missouri Southern fans. <laughs> And I'm like, did you just see that? They're like, how could we miss like, it? Yeah. We're the only ones we're, in here. We're right here, man. Um, they call, so Missouri Southern calls timeout. Yeah. 
and I'm still rambling on about this call, and my voice carries, right? So it's carrying across this gym. I remember talking to our head coach after the game, and he goes, couldn't get a word in. All the guys were doing were listening to you. I'm trying to draw up a defensive play. And the only thing they're hearing is Jackson Price from the right corner. <laughs> yeah, so pretty excited. That, that, was, uh, that was probably my best memory, but if I was watching one, yeah. it was watching Jimmer Fredette in the NCAA Ooh, tournament. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jimmer was great. Um, yeah. So uh, just his highlights throughout that tournament were, uh, were outstanding. Okay, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, if I was doing a, a longer stretch, the instead of just one game uh, – where I became obsessed with Steph Curry was his run with Davison um, in the NCAA tournament to the Elite Eight. That was uh, one of my favorite kind of extended experiences with college basketball. But, um, yeah, that's – man, that's funny. I, I half expected that story <laughs> to end with uh, – and then Missouri Southern drew up a play and got the game winner. And I felt like an idiot just sitting there quietly. And, be like, and Missouri Southern wins the game. Um, <laughs> no, but I did get to go home and ref. I didn't have to call somebody and, like, cancel. So, like, that felt good, too. I got to go home and do my laundry. Yeah. Got the ref. Got to call a game winner. It was fantastic. Uh, I probably have the call on my, like, website somewhere. I should that, see about pulling that up. That's really funny. Um, oh, so this kind of goes – into what you were talking about there a little bit, having done some play-by-play. Obviously, you do some refing as well. Mm -hmm. You've done some coaching. My question to you is, what is your dream sports job other than the one you currently have? Uh, doing play-by-play yeah. for college basketball. College basketball, like, play-by-play. Not like, just, like high not level. just a team. Yeah, like a national. Like, like national CBS yeah. broadcasts that like you're calling going, NCAA you're, tournament you're games. You're calling NCAA tournament games. Yeah. Like that was always a dream of mine sure. to be able to do that. That and calling like St. Louis Cardinal baseball sure. games. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because I, um, I kind of thought your answer might be Cardinals play-by-play guy. Right, and, and that is still like yeah, a, an sure. amazing dream. But what people don't realize with that is – is like yes it's it's great but with other interests i have in my life like being an active dad and coaching my kids someday and things like that you can't really do that yeah. when you're a play-by-play broadcaster for a baseball team and joe buck talks about that all the yeah. time he's like when when Dan McLaughlin um, got canned from the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and they were looking around for another broadcaster. They ended up with Chip Carey, yeah. who, you know, uh, grandson of Harry Carey. Um, but they called Joe Buck first because he's a St. Yeah. Louisan. Yeah. And Joe was like, no. And he's <laughs> like, because he knows that with his other commitments, not just in the job. Yeah. But within his life, his yeah. life, yeah. he's like, I won't be able to spend any time with my kids. I'll actually be calling off from doing games. And like the first season, yes, maybe I get 162 games in. Yeah. But then the next season, it may be 120. And then the next season, it may be 70. Yeah. And then, you know, in his fifth season, he'll be doing one game. <laughs> and it's like, well, you can't have a broadcaster that's just doing one game. Yeah. So that's why he likes doing Monday Night Football. Right. Because it's once a week. Once a week. You can be at home the rest of the week. You can do your prep at home. That's Correct. the tough thing with baseball is it's every day, mm-hmm. right? Basketball, even college basketball, it's a couple times a week. Maybe you're going around the country a little bit, but um, at least you've got – it's a shorter season, right, than than a, uh, than a baseball season, which is most of the year, and you're doing it every single day. You just – you don't get to be – 
at home a ton. So that's and it's inconsistent as far as sometimes it could be at night, sometimes it could be a day game, sometimes on Sunday it could be a day game, but it could be Sunday night. You know, I mean, so you can't really set a schedule. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. got to play the palm weather too. So that's why I think college basketball would be great yeah. because yes, the season is a little bit longer than you know most other sports, but it's not like overly long where it becomes like oh. I am dreading calling yeah. this game at, at this day, at this hour. Like, no, college basketball is from, what, November? November to March. March. Yeah. And then you're, you can do what other, whatever else yeah. you want throughout the year, but at least uh, it, it's only a, a five-month, six-month season. Yeah. I mean, you could be, be like our guy Nick Baugh, be the play-by-play version I of I don't know, uh, though. Base, baseball gets the holidays off, though. Well, kind of. Because, like – if, I, was, I was even thinking about that I mean, you just may the get, other day. You may get Thanksgiving and like Christmas off. That's what I mean. Whereas what other sport gets those off? None. Yeah, but that – like how many, how many college basketball games at the national stage, if I got there, are actually playing on Christmas? Not that many. I know not like Creighton many. played on Christmas last year, but for the most part you're not talking about right. a huge number of games on, on the major holidays. And, you know, Thanksgiving, yes. You'd probably miss Thanksgiving because yeah, of the exemption Thanksgiving's, tournament. Yeah. Thanksgiving's, yeah. <laughs> Thanksgiving's no Christmas, that's for Come sure. Uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to switch gears and talk to Aaron McMahon. He covers Michigan football for M Live Michigan, heading to the Big Ten championship game and – uh, they're hoping to the college football playoff as well. We will talk to Aaron coming up next on Her Ass Sports Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Fourth and goal for Michigan. Handoff. Quorum dives. End zone. Touchdown. Wolverines. And Michigan takes a 6-0 lead in the first quarter. JJ takes the snap on third and 10. Back to pass. Looking. Fires down the middle. And it's caught. Roman Wilson inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown. Wolverines. Wow. Did JJ thread the needle there? Wrapping up the show here on a Tuesday on Hurt At Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are joined now by Aaron McMahon. He covers Michigan football for the Ann Arbor News and M Live. Aaron, how are you this morning? It's uh, good to be talking football with you guys. What's up, man? Aaron, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, let it, let's jump right in to football. Obviously, you get the big win over Ohio State for the third year in a row. Um, is it, I guess, what's the general vibe around Michigan heading into this Big Ten championship game that most people are just automatically chalking up as a W you're getting Jim Harbaugh back on the sidelines, and you're coming off of your third straight win over Ohio State. I mean, people have to be feeling pretty good in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I mean, the fan base is, is amped up right now. I, I think they realize this is Michigan's probably best shot to win the national championship. Um, you know, they've been in the playoff the last couple of years, but they haven't been able to get over that hump. And I think the fans kind of realize that, you know, given the way that Michigan's playing this year, um, despite Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline for six games and despite all the off-the-field drama and the accusations and investigations, that I think this is, the, this is their year for the, you know, to, to win it all. Um, parody in college football has probably never been, never been you know, better. 
Um, I, I, I think the, the opportunity is there, and I think right now they realize it, it's, it's, within, within, it's within their grasp. Aaron, I'm curious. You mentioned Jim Harbaugh obviously missing half of the regular season uh, with suspensions. How much of a difference, since he was able uh, to be at practice and just not uh, at the games, how much did those suspensions actually impact Michigan on the football field? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, and I don't know if it's necessarily quantifiable, but I can tell you, you're right. You know, him being there during the week for practice, I, I think does make a difference. You know, they, they, I don't think they necessarily changed the game plan because he wasn't on the sideline. He still had influence. He still kind of dictated what things were, were, were going to take place. And maybe in-game adjustments maybe weren't there, especially those first three games in the, the non-conference schedule. Um, but I, I, I think, and you saw it, you know, Michigan's acting head coach, offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore, you know, during that, that passionate uh, post-game speech against Penn State where, you know, he was dropping F-bombs and everything else, <laughs> that uh, they, they were playing for Jim. And I think they played in the way Jim wanted them to play. And then I think that was the case again on Saturday. You know, they, they tried to emulate this smash-mouth style of football where, you know, they, they, they're, able, where they're able to run it and take time off the clock and, and win in that physical style of way, style you know of football and they did it again against against Ohio State and I think that's very much what Jim Harbaugh uh, wanted to see. Aaron Michigan overcame everything that's hit them this year and despite what anyone will say they will be in the college football playoff. Uh, it is a very low likelihood that Iowa upsets Michigan this weekend. So, as you said, you think this is title year for Michigan. If they were to win the title this year, will it be primarily because of the leap McCarthy has made as signal caller this season, or would you attribute it somewhere else? No, I, I think that's exactly it. You know, Before the season even started, I, I said that Michigan's success this year would hinge on J.J. McCarthy and his, his, his arm. Uh, you know, he's a former five-star quarterback, highly touted out of high school, uh, and, and he's one Michigan's kind of brought along the last couple of years. Uh, you know, even in 2021, when Michigan played Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, Hayden McNamara was a starting quarterback during that game, but they were still working J.J. McCarthy in. They were designing packages for him, kind of getting his feet wet. And then the, the, the change happened last year, and McCarthy got the ball. Um, he, was, he was given the opportunity and obviously made the most of it, but I think this year just his – his maturity, his his able his, his ability to kind of um, compartmentalize things and and kind of grow as, as, as a thrower as a passer, I, I think has been the difference. Michigan's offense last year was largely predicated on the ground. You know, Blake Corum and Diamond Edwards were getting a ton of carries. Corum was in the race for the Heisman Trophy, and that's not necessarily the case this year. Michigan's largely used the pass to kind of set up the run, whereas you know last year was largely the, the run to set up the pass. So McCarthy's I think been the difference maker. Um, he, you know, his numbers have been great. He's been very efficient. And, and while maybe he hasn't put up the, the passing stats that maybe a Gene Daniels or Bo Nix has, um, he's, he's, you know, he's completing passes at like a 75% clip. His quarterback rating is pushing 200. So what he's being asked to do, he's, he's succeeding in, and I think it's been a difference maker for the Wolverines. We're talking with Aaron McMahon, who covers Michigan for M Live. You know, you mentioned maybe this is Michigan's best chance for a national title. But it all, they also might be the college football world's best chance to knock off Georgia. Is that how you view this 
uh, this Michigan group as well. Because when you look at some of the other contenders, uh, I'm not sure they've got what it takes. They may be more. Uh, they might be more TCU than they were Ohio State against Georgia last year. Uh, Michigan, though, might be able with their physicality to give the Bulldogs a uh, hiccup for the first time in three years. How do you? I know it's looking ahead here, but how do you look at their chances against a team like Georgia? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, right? And it, 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 when engaging the college football playoff matchups, I, I do think Michigan has the edge, in, you know, against maybe a Florida State or a Washington or perhaps an Oregon, but. Georgia is the interesting factor here. Michigan had trouble getting past them two years ago. I I don't think they just they didn't have the physicality and I think the talent to to keep up. Um, I I think that's changed this year. Now I I don't necessarily I don't think that necessarily means Michigan would be favored to beat the Bulldogs, but I think they'd give them a fight. And I think it's I think it's a matchup many folks are are, you know clamoring for, especially here in Ann Arbor. They want to see how this Michigan team matches up. Against Georgia, um, you know, I, I will say this with regards to, to the Bulldogs, Michigan spent an inordinate amount of time this year preparing for them. Uh, you know, I can remember before the 2021 season, before Michigan kind of flipped the switch and, and turned into this Big Ten title contender, um, they, they started obsessing over Ohio State and it worked. Um, going into this year, they added a period in practice to prepare for Georgia. My assumption is that it deals with physicality and, and you know, perhaps, a, a, you know, something with the run game. But uh, I think Michigan's better equipped to handle the Bulldogs. Now, I don't know if that necessarily will translate to success on the field, but I think it'd be a lot closer in the 2021 matchup. Aaron, looking ahead to this weekend, the Big Ten championship game against Iowa, as you <laughs> as you kind of look at the point spread, it, it, it's large. It's it's about 23 points. I think it got up to. I did it open a little bit lower. I think it was around 21 where it when it opened. Uh, for Iowa to have a chance in this game, uh, does Michigan just uh, not have to show up? Not only the point spread, what you said, 23-24, but the total for the game is more like 35. Yeah, which is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Would you lay the points on, on Michigan like as, as, as like a shutout favorite? Yeah, my gut says yes, just because yeah, looking at that, Ozmakers would signal to me they're expecting like a 30-3 to game, and that's mm-hmm. probably the most likely scenario here. Um, you know, Michigan's offense, I think, is just is so well-equipped. I, I think for Iowa to be in this game, or at least, you know, be competitive, they're going to have to force some turnovers. They're going to have to get some short field situations. You know, I, go, going back to the playoff game last year against TCU, J.J. McCarthy threw a couple of pick sixes. So I, I think Iowa would need a couple of those to, to try and stay competitive. Otherwise, yeah, I'm tended to lean to, to lay, the month, lay the points with Michigan. I, I think their offense is just so good and so explosive. And, and I think you're almost looking at, uh, you know, uh, a duplicate of what we saw in 2021 where Michigan – you know, jumped out to a big lead and, and never, you know, it, it never closed. Aaron, I'm glad you brought up that performance against TCU last year by J.J. McCarthy because as he gets closer and closer to an opportunity to be able to, I guess, redeem himself a little bit there, because let's be honest, Michigan wins that game without those two pick sixes. Um, I guess how do you think he's handled that mentally, not only throughout the season, but now as his chance to – uh, get back on that stage is is right at his fingertips. Yeah, so he says he's grown from it, and, and you want to believe him. But then you know you go back to even this season, the uh, third game against, excuse me, second game against Bowling Green, and he throws three interceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, but by and large, you look at JJ's numbers; he's been very good. But it almost seems like he gets into this rut when he throws one interception. 
when they're in, in a game, it kind of multiplies and it, 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 it you know, it goes, it almost like runs downhill from there. So I think the key from him is just staying away from mistakes. If he can avoid one turnover, he's going to avoid three. And I think that would be the really only difference maker for Iowa because I, I just don't see their offense doing a ton. Um, Michigan's defense are statistically one of the best in the country. They're very good at, at keeping teams, um, you know, uh, in, in, forcing them in second and long, third and long situations. And, and given, you know, Iowa's, you know, they're, they're playing their backup quarterback. They just don't have a ton of weaponry on the offense side of the ball. So I just don't see them moving the football a ton. But, you know, J.J., again, the key is in the for, uh, avoiding mistakes, avoiding turnovers, playing in a way safe. And I, I do expect that to probably be the Michigan game plan on Saturday. They're gonna, they can play their, their type of football, not force anything. Uh, and I think they're going to want to avoid turn or, uh, injuries, too, and that's going to be key coming out of this game healthy. So I'm expecting a safe game for Michigan. I don't expect them to try. I, don't see, I expect them to try a ton of t- trick plays, um, just like you saw against Ohio State. They're going to try and get in and get out with a win. Aaron, real quick here, got about 30 seconds left. Uh, are you expecting uh, Sharon Moore to be back next season, or do you think he moves on to a head coaching job? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, because if you look at Michigan's coaching staff, I, I think he's the most likely candidate to get a head coaching job, whether that's this year or next. The, the only question, right, is whether he ends up being the next guy in line. You know, if Jim Harbaugh ends up taking an NFL job this offseason, I would assume he gets the job at Michigan. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason with Harbaugh and the staff. Aaron, we appreciate your time. Great stuff, and uh, enjoy covering the game this weekend. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Aaron. That's Aaron McMahon from M Live covering Michigan football. Really good stuff there from Aaron. Lots going on with Michigan. I still, like, I, I was just thinking about this when you asked the question about Georgia. I'm like, is Michigan the only team that's solidified in the college football playoff? We'll talk about that tomorrow here on Herd Sports Radio.